amazing, right? I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how sticky just a little dot of that can be. And it's talking about more than that here with this word join, is that we are glued together. And, and so picture this and think about this. Think about the ramifications that Paul's getting into here. He says, or do you not know that he who is joined, glued to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. You probably heard that. Maybe you've heard that at a wedding before. What God has joined together, let no man separate. And so the two become one flesh. And that is literal. And if you understand and you've had your sex education classes, you understand why, yeah, a man and woman coming together. Yeah, they, they, they become one. They become one in, in, in everything. There's a bond there. Super glue bond. There is a soul tie there. It says the two will become one flesh. And then it goes in verse 17. But he who is joined to the Lord in that intimate way, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Then we get to verse 18. And here's the guardrail. He says, because of all this information I've just given you, that you guys are like, oh, yeah, that's no, never, never. Then you get to verse 18 and it says this. Flee. Run as fast as you can in the opposite direction. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You're not your own. For you were bought with a price, the precious blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. So therefore, glorify God in your body. Don't become yoked. Don't become superglued. Don't become bonded to something that is offensive to God. And I want you to notice what it says at the beginning of verse 18 there. Look at it. It says, to flee. Scripture says to flee. To run the opposite direction. Notice that it doesn't say, hey, be careful. Be careful in this area. It doesn't say, it doesn't say hey, watch out. Watch out. Be careful. It doesn't say, hey, get as close as you can and you'll still be okay as long as you don't go all the way. No, he says, when you feel like your heart and your mind is going this direction... Flee. Run away in the complete opposite direction. And if you think about this, logically, this is what every husband wants his wife to do if she's put in a circumstance where she feels like she's being drawn to another person. This is the exact same thing that every wife wishes her husband would do. When he's in a circumstance where he's feeling drawn or feeling tempted to do something with another person. Now, isn't that interesting that this is what we want? And yet, alone when it comes to us personally, we don't always pursue things that way. It says to flee. This is what every fiancé wants their fiancé to do. This is what we would say as parents. This is what we want our kids to do. Flee. This is what employers would like employees to do. Flee from those type of things because they're going to mess up your life. But here's the problem. We don't flee. Instead, we stand right on the edge and we flirt. We flirt. 
Just for a moment, it seems more exciting. Doesn't it? It's more exciting to flirt than it is to flee. Doesn't seem as manly to, you know, flee. I can, I can, I can stand here and not give in. I'll just flirt with it. And here's the thing that's, that's really interesting. Culture baits us to the edge on this type of stuff and then laughs at us when we go over the edge. I mean, think about the culture. Doesn't the culture be like, yeah, I'll be right there on the edge. Such a good time. Flirt with it. You don't need a guardrail there. And you sure don't need to flee. I mean, this is natural. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's really interesting. If you went out in Enid today and you found a whole bunch of people there, you got Christians, you got non-Christians, believers, and you got people all over the spectrum, and you asked them, you went to them, you said, hey, do you think that teen pregnancy is a good idea? Or, or, or word it different. Hey, do you think a 14-year-old girl having a baby is a good thing? Unless they just have no brain at all, okay? I mean, they just mush up here. The, I don't know, the sun has bleached their brain cells. I don't know what's happened to them. But most people, and, and this, there's statistics to back this up, most people, even non-Christians, would say no, not a good thing. Now, they may say it for a completely different reason than a Christian would, but there are a lot of things that happen. I mean, how are you going to support this child? You got a job? No. How are you going to continue education in life? How are you going to be, be educated? You, what are you going to do there? Well, I, you know, I'm going to have to put that on pause or stop that. And so to most people, they're like, yes, I can agree on that. We can agree on that with, with people that are outside of Christ. It's like, yes, we are not for teen pregnancy. That would, that would, that's just something that we can stack hands on. That's something that's just a really, really bad idea. And everybody would nod their heads. And yet, look what our culture does to teen girls. Have you shopped in a store lately? Do you know what they want them to wear? I mean, have you seen how short and how low cut? I mean, you know, and this is the culture saying, hey, to be beautiful and to be accepted and to maybe have a boyfriend, this is what you got to look like. And so it baits you right to the edge. It says, hey, but don't get pregnant at 14. But hey, look like this. And here's the thing is, the, the, the styles and the culture today makes our young ladies look like what would have been considered hookers or prostitutes 40 years ago. And if you don't believe me, ask your grandma. Ask your grandma. Grandma, I mean, buy one of those outfits. Wear it for grandma. It's like, grandma, if I look like this in 1970, what would they say? In 1980, what would they say? Oh, honey, you know, you'd be a streetwalker. You know, it's terrible. You know, and yet that's the standard today, right? And see culture and the way it works and temptation from Satan himself and, and the lies from the pits of hell will get you right to the edge and say, oh, as long as you don't go all the way over. As long as you stay right here on the edge, you'll be okay. But then what would the culture do when you jump over it and end up with a pregnant 14-year-old? Oh, man, I can't believe it. How stupid. How I can't, you know, I can't believe it. It's just, your culture just has this way of baiting you to the edge and then laughing at you when you fall. And God says, no. And he gives us this warning, this wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he reminds us, and he says, what does it say there at the beginning of verse 18? It says that we are called to flee. Now, if you're a Christian, you have even more, more reason and motivation to flee, like it says in verse 18. If you're a Christian, because look at verse 19 and 20, what does, it, what does it say? It goes on to say, it says that, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now let me explain this concept because it's very, very important to understand. That your motivation should be even further because when you are a Christian 
and you accept Christ Jesus, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in you. Now, I want you to understand this concept. Jesus, when he was on the earth, one of his names that he was given was Emmanuel. You read that in the scripture, you even, even read it in the prophecies in the book of Isaiah. But he was actually given this title and was called Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And so when Jesus was on the earth and he was walking amongst us, it was God with us. Okay, then we get to John's gospel, uh, chapters 13 through 17, called the Upper Room Discourse, one of my favorite sections of scripture in the Bible. And Jesus with the disciples, and he keeps telling them, and he's been telling them since the beginning of his ministry, he spent three years with them, but he's telling them that night specifically, hey, I'm going to go, I'm not going to be here. Emmanuel, God with us, is not going to be here like in the flesh like I have been, but there is one who will come after me, and he calls him the comforter, he calls him the counselor, he calls him the guide, and he says this one that will come after me won't be God with us, Emmanuel, it'll be God in us, he's actually going to come and indwell in your heart and in your life, God's Holy Spirit. And so it, it, Jesus tells the disciples, it is better, it is better for you that I go to be with the Heavenly Father. And I go through all that I'm going through, not only for forgiveness sake, but because the Holy Spirit of God is going to come. And it's not, not, no longer going to be God with us. It's going to be God in us. And so that's what he's referring to here, the Apostle Paul, because he understands this in a very deep and personal way because he's experienced it himself. He says, when he says that in verse 19, he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? And then he reminds you how you became a temple of the Holy Spirit in verse 20. You are not your own. Someone paid to have the Holy Spirit in your life. For you were bought with a price, the precious blood of the Son of God. He was an innocent man that took on your sin to bring about forgiveness and hope of salvation in your life. And because of that, glorify him in your body. How, the Apostle Paul, how do we do it? Verse 18, flee, run the other direction. Now what's interesting, as Christians, is we get to decide how important this is to us. God does not force this upon us, as he does all of the commandments in the Bible. He doesn't force you to do it. He says, do it. It will serve you well, that it will go well with you in your life, that you can have a long and happy and prosperous life if you walk within the ways of the Lord. And not in, just in this way, in the, in, in the, form, in the, in the way of, of your sexual life, but in all areas of your life that you would choose to walk with the Lord. And I'm just baffled how everybody thinks, you know what? That's a great idea. And I really care about this for my sister. My little sister, yeah, I, man, yes, flee. You know, that, that, that is a great idea. You know, I, I, I accept this for my best friend. I'm going to tell my best friend, yeah, you need to flee. You need, you need to run away from this stuff, you know. It's important for your brother and your sister. It's important for all these other people in your life. Sometimes, I mean, if we're being honest, employers, you know, you've seen some of the messes of sexual morality in your workplace. You said, yes, I want that for my employees. I want that for them. Purity. Walking God's direction in life in this way. You want this for your spouse or your future spouse. You want them to have guardrails in this area of, your, of, of their lives. You want it for your kids. You don't want them to live life on the edge you want them to step back, to set some boundaries. And just remember, John 10.10 10 says that the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. 
And this is one of his greatest areas of doing that. And do you suppose for a minute, if you weren't walking in God's ways for your life in this area, and you ended up pregnant, you ended up contracting an, a sexually transmitted disease. Interesting to statistics on that, just the last few years. The HPV is on the rise, human papillomavirus. That if you have sex outside of marriage, it's over 50% chance of getting that now today because of just people just going crazy. Immorality everywhere. You have a really good chance, over 50% chance of contracting that. If you don't know what that is, it's one of those sexually transmitted diseases you don't really know you have. In fact, many times, a women don't know they have it until they try to, to have a baby. And uh, there's so much scarring on their uterine lining from the disease uh, that they don't even know it from the virus. And they, they're unable to con conceive children because of just the damage that's been done. You see, it's underground. It's behind closed doors. And you think, oh, I can do this. It won't affect my life. It'll affect it in ways you just can't even fathom you can't even imagine and that's why it's so important that we do what it says and set parameters and guardrails in our life where it says there in verse 18 when it says to flee from sexual immorality because i imagine if you get to that point in life where you've made that mistake and there's many people in this room that have i bet that you will cry out to god You'll say, God, please help me. Please have mercy on me in this area. And God, he's in that business of restoration. He's in that business of redeeming things that are broken, lost, things that the devil intended to ruin a life. God turns around and can use it in some, some way to make it good. I don't want to lose sight of the forgiveness of sin, even in this area. Because like I said earlier, it's not that God views us as worse sin than anything else than someone who pathologically lies all the time. But the ramifications of it seem to go far deeper than other sins. And so we need to set up some guardrails. Now, I've got a list of guardrails I'm going to share with you for the rest of our time this morning. I'm just trying to be super practical with this stuff. And as I'm sharing these, I want you to know these come from uh, stories I've heard. They come from counseling sessions with couples. And so I think all these things are a great idea. Um, all of these things are things that I've put into my own life that I try to adhere here to as much as possible. Some of you are going to think they're, they're extreme, um, and, and that's okay. But I, I, I'm, let's, let's remember, what did Paul say in verse 18? Flee, flee. How do we do that? Let's go over some guidelines and some guardrails for married people. Let's start with married people first. First one is this, guardrail for married. Don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. Do not travel alone with members of the opposite sex. You're not going to ride in cars with them, go on long plane rides with them. You're not going to just travel. And I know sometimes you're like, well, it's unavoidable. My business made me ride in a car with her alone for 15 hours, or my, my business made me fly on a plane. And, but there's this carrying on that goes on that and you get away from your spouses and things, you know, you start to relate in these conversations, and it's just, it doesn't lead to anything good. We've adopted this, um, this guardrail here at the church for staff, that we do not ride alone in cars with people that are members of the opposite sex. We just don't do it. 
I remember years ago, I had a, a female children's minister, and uh, we were purchasing t-shirts for VBS, and uh, she'd never done it, so I knew people downtown. I was like, hey, let's go down there. I'll help you with it. And I went to go get in the car, and she was following me, and I said, hey, why don't you just take your vehicle? And she didn't really understand. I said, it's just one of those things. If we're seen riding alone in a car together, what might people say? What might be the thought process? What might we share in that conversation while we're driving down the road together? And you may say, oh, that's so extreme. It may seem really extreme. But I'm telling you what, you won't regret it if it saves you from sexual immorality, right? Flee. Number two. Number two. Don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. Why? It feels like a date. Okay? And it looks like a date. Again, our church staff, if they have to meet with someone of the opposite sex, we always bring another person along with us. You won't see just one of our staff and somebody who's not their spouse sharing lunch together. It, it's just awkward. You are inviting, you're inviting things in your life and thoughts. And, 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 and here's the thing is, is, in the Bible, it's shown many times that when we share a meal with someone, it was fellowship and there was intimacy there. You didn't just share a meal with anyone in the Bible. I mean, when Jesus saw Zacchaeus up in the tree and he said, hey, I'm going to your house to share a meal with you today. I'm going to your house today. There's a huge deal. Why do you think the Bible makes such a big deal about it? It's because Jesus, the Son of God, was going to the house of a tax collector who was like a notorious sinner, you know? It was just like, why would he hang out with him at all? But not only is he going to go hang out, he's going to his house and he's going to share a meal with him. There's going to be intimate fellowship there. Are you serious? It's the same thing here. I encourage you. And I know sometimes some of you are going to say, well, I've got a business meeting and I have to meet with this sales rep and she's a female. Be careful. Do it in a public place. Do it at a table that's eight foot long. You sit on one end, she sits on the other. <laughs> you know, okay. Anyway, next one. Don't hire members of the opposite sex because you want to help them. Okay? This is for you employers out there because I've heard of this happening before. And I had a guy one time tell me as he was trying to help this lady. And I was like, I don't know, it feels weird to me. Are you sure she's not coming on to you or something? And he's like, no, 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 she just needs help. She needs me. And I said, oh, wait, 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 wait. She needs you? No, she needs help. It doesn't have to come from you. And I want you to remember that. Because sometimes when we're helping, let's go to the next one. Number four. Don't confide in or counsel members of the opposite sex. Because when, you, when they start confiding in you, and you start counseling them to help them, members of the opposite sex, there's this attachment that happens a lot of times. We have to be really careful about this as pastors, because I do. I mean, I, I want to be a, a shepherd and a teacher and a pastor to everybody in the church, and that includes females. Make up more than 50% of our church. I want to be there for you in your time of need, but we're going to do it really carefully. That's why we have windows on all the office doors. That's why we tell our secretaries, hey, I'm meeting with a, with a lady. And, and usually for me, that's just a one-time meeting. I'm not going to do this long-term. I'm going to counsel you for 14 weeks. We're going to meet every Tuesday at this time. I just don't do that. It's not because I don't love you. It's just because I love my wife. I don't want to put myself in any tempting situation. I don't want God to put you in any temp tempting situation where you're like, oh, he listens to me and he just gets me and I wish my husband. You see where that stuff goes, right? It's the devil's playground. It's how he starts these things sometimes. You ever heard of a minister that, that had an affair with somebody, right? This stuff is important. We set guardrails with the opposite sex. Married people, last one. When you feel your heart or desire drifting toward a specific person, tell someone. Tell someone, another human being. Yes, you need to take it to the Lord. You need to tell another human being for accountability. I'm going to be honest with you here. If this happens, 
Some of you could tell your spouse and they wouldn't freak out and be okay. And some of you, you don't need to tell your spouse because they're going to freak out. It's not going to be okay. And nothing's happened except that little seed of thought. And you need to go, if you're a guy, to a brother in Christ and say, hey, I just need to make you aware of this. Help me. Help, accountability, questions. Hey, set parameters. Make sure we're not alone with this person. It happens sometimes. You're like been, been with somebody your whole life, and all of a sudden they seem attractive to you. It's like, I've never thought of them like that. And then there's some, what, not fleeing, but what, flirting. Flirting goes on, and it just never leads to anything good. And I know some of you are like, these are so extreme. I love my wife. I'll never do any of that stuff. Okay? Let's be honest here. Okay? When he says flee in verse 18, I think it's extreme. To literally run away in the opposite direction, pretty extreme. But the Apostle Paul is saying it's going to mess up your life, could mess with your family tree, could mess with your marriage, it could change everything in a split second. So flee from sexual immorality. Now, let's talk single people. You've been so patient. Now, I hope you're paying attention to the married rules because. Uh, for single people, the guardrails here, look at the first one here. Guardrails for single people. Gouge out your eyes with a spoon, okay? <laughs> hey, we care. We care. We said a spoon, fork, and a knife, man. But yeah, just, just you have to have covenant eyes. We're actually going to talk about this when we talk about marriage. Um, so I won't go deep into it now, but gouge out your eyes with a spoon. Number two, Number two is apply the married people's guidelines that we just went over in your relationships with your married people, with married friends, okay? Those same things. Don't go to lunch with them. Don't travel with them. Don't let them give you a ride in the car. Uh, don't start counseling with them and confiding in them. I mean, let's be truthful here. If you're one of those people and you start feeling like I'm confiding in this you know, woman or in this man that is not my spouse and I'm feeling close to them and drawn to them, Red flags, alarms going off, guardrails been hit, scrape the car, flee. Get out of that situation. And single people, this will not only just serve you well for your intimacy that you want to have later in life, but this is going to serve the married people well. You may save a marriage. And thank you very much for doing it. Third, for single people, no sleepovers ever. No sleepovers ever. Sleepovers are for eight-year-olds. Okay? They're not, they're not for teenagers, preteens, adults, college students. Um, and I don't care if you're 60. And, you know, it, there's, there's just no reason to do that. People are like, oh, we're going to live together and try, you know, try things out, try before you buy. No. That is not how intimacy works. That is not what God wants for your life. It will only mess things up worse. It will only make matters worse. You've got to set a guardrail there. You may say, well, we've been dating a long time. We're super committed. What? Sex is not for committed people. It's not for engaged people. It's for married people. And so, no sleepovers ever. Living together, bad idea. You say, oh, but we've got self-control. And you know, No, you don't, okay? I mean, I know this. I, I love my wife. I'm crazy about my wife. And if you've met my wife, you know why I'm crazy about my wife. She is awesome, great lady. Uh, when we were dating... If you had said, hey, Eric, why don't you and Amy, you know, you guys get married in a couple months, why don't you guys just live together? Just move in that apartment, you save a little bit of money, why don't you guys just live together, just, you know, you're both Christians, you both got boundaries in place, um, you know, just, just go live together, and, and you expect nothing to happen for two months? I mean, come on, we're in love, I mean, you know, we're, we're headed that direction. No, 
We don't do sleepovers when you're engaged. Bad things are going to happen. You're not going to honor God. Because of that, intimacy is lost. You wait. You follow God's laws and His protection in these ways. Fourth thing, don't put yourself in situations where you're tempted. Don't put yourself in situations where you're tempted. Okay? If you know, oh, it's always a struggle because we go out on a date, but then afterwards we always end out on a dirt road. We go park behind this building. It's always late at night. Then don't go out late at night. Well, it's always in the car. Things happen in the car. Don't go in the car alone anymore. Well, that's really extreme. Folks, this is extreme because it is one of the ways you can completely mess up your life. And I've counseled enough people and talked to enough people and prayed with enough people to want better for you myself, let alone your Heavenly Father. To understand the ramifications of decisions that you'll make that could affect you for the rest of your life. Four more pieces of advice here, just real quick. Four more pieces of advice, if you can get back there. Yvette, she's doing a great job. Don't friend old boyfriends and girlfriends on Facebook. Okay, this, this kind of goes more back toward the married people. Don't become friends with them because you're interested with them. You saw their profile pic. Oh, they're, they're so pretty. Oh, you know, your heart drawn to affection of 20 years ago when you were in high school. Don't become friends. Next one. Don't text old boyfriends and girlfriends. Okay, there's no reason to text. Well, we're just going to text. We're just going to talk. No, we don't need to do that. Next one. Don't email old boyfriends and girlfriends. You get where I'm going with this? And the last one, so obvious, do not talk to old boyfriends and girlfriends. Because that's where it starts. It's in that order. Oh, Facebook. Oh, Messenger. Oh, text. Oh, emails. Oh, talking. Oh, we're going to meet up. And the Apostle Paul <laughs> is saying, flee. Don't even allow yourself to think about it. Don't even allow yourself to go there. Why? Because you're not going to have self-control in this area of life. It's the most tempting situation that you can put yourself into. Let me share a passage of Scripture as we close today. This is found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. So part of the Sermon on the Mount, the uh, very, very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus says this. It's in the red letters. Jesus says this. So just hear these words. Let them soak in. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rains fell and the floods came up and the winds blew and beat against that house, it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The Word of God. The guardrails. Then it says this. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, does not put them into practice, will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains came down, the rains fell, the floods came up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And I know what some of you are thinking this morning. You're thinking, gosh, that's a great Message spot on. Man, I wish I had heard that 20 years ago. I wish I had heard that five years ago, five months ago. Actually, I just wish he would have preached it last week. And I understand that you've, you've failed in that area of your life. You've been sexually immoral. 
And just remember, guys, pornography, Jesus says, don't even look at a woman lustfully or you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. It's extreme. That's why he said flee. But I want to offer you hope this morning because you may say, well, yeah, too, too late for me. Now, from this point forward, yes, I'm going to flee. And i got a situation right now at work, and I'm fleeing from that this, this week. I'm going to throw down some guardrails here in this part of this relationship. I'm dating this person. Need some major guardrails because we're moving that direction, and we're moving that direction fast at dark in the car. And yes, we're going to set up up. But I've already, I've already gone too far. I want you to know several things. First of all, that Jesus loves you. Second thing is that he died on the cross for that sin. Third thing is that he is in the business of redeeming and making that which was lost and broken and dirty and, 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 and out there and redeeming it and bringing it back and trying to make it, make it, make it whole again. And the good news this morning is, is if you accept him as your personal Lord and Savior, and the Bible says to do that, you need to repent of your sins, which means you turn away from sin, you turn away from internet pornography, you turn away from that Adultery you've been thinking about, we call it an affair. It's a nice fluffy word, but it's hardly an affair. It's adultery. It, whatever it is, that temptation, you turn and you go the opposite direction. You flee from it. You repent of your sin. You accept Christ into your life. And in 2 Corinthians 5.17, check this out in case you were just shrinking in the pew this whole sermon. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. Look. All things are made new. Just some things? No, all things. All things are made new. If that's your story today, and you're like, man, I need that. You're no further than a prayer way. You reach out to God. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. And I'm going to invite you to go to the decision room right over here. There's going to be elders. There's going to be decision guides. People to pray with you, talk to you about anything Talk to you about your relationship with the God. That's the one relationship you've got to get right in life is that relationship with God. Everything else will fall into place when you start following Him. Some of you, you're, you're Christians. You've gone and, and you've been outside of your marriage. You've, you've done some things that were sexually immoral. You're, you're struggling with, with pornography. Whatever it is, come over. Get prayer. Get a brother or sister in the Lord to hold you accountable, to call you this week and say, how are you doing? But we just want to allow God to work. He's convicting, he's also working, and he's also in the business of redeeming and forgiving sins. He didn't die for nothing. He died to forgive us our sins, to purify us from all unrighteousness. If you call upon his name, let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you love us, and I thank you for the forgiveness that's offered through your son, Jesus. His blood, it says in Scripture, covers all sins, washes us white as snow. And boy, some of us, God, this morning, we're like, man, I would like to be white as snow. If I was going down the aisle tomorrow, I'd be wearing the black dress, not the white dress. And God says, hey, wait a minute. And so, God, all we have to do is to repent of our sins, to call upon your name. Lord, to clothe ourselves in the watery grave of baptism that in Romans chapter 6 talk about um, that, that we are washed away our sins, the symbolic washing away of sins, raised to walk in newness of life. God, all of those promises are for us if we just turn to you. So I pray, God, as we sing this song, 
Continue to work in our hearts and our minds. I pray that we can turn to you and surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?